0: Let us pray. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. Let's face it. It was not one of Jesus' better days. No matter how you interpret this story of the Syrophoenician woman, Jesus in it does not come across as his usual open-hearted, open-minded, ever-compassionate self. In fact, he sounds downright rude. True, he was tired. And he was trying to hide away from the crowds so he could get some rest. And somehow this woman had found him when he didn't want anyone to know where he was for centuries. But, but when she did, when she approached him and begged him for healing for her daughter, who had this unclean spirit, his reply, I think, takes even the most devoted of us Jesus followers aback. Let the children be fed first, he says, for it's not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. For centuries, commentators have tried to explain Jesus' response away by various means. They remind us, for instance, that Jesus himself had said he was sent first, not to the Gentiles, but to the lost sheep of Israel. And perhaps he was just reminding the woman of that fact. They tell us that Jesus was encountering a woman who was unclean in multiple ways, according to Jewish purity laws. She was a woman, she was a Gentile, and she lived in a house with a daughter with an unclean spirit, Unclean, unclean, unclean. Other commentators, including some of the early Protestant reformers, try to soften the blow of Jesus' words here by reminding us that the Greek word used for dogs here doesn't refer to big mongrels but to little dogs. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Really? a dog is a dog, and however much we adore our pets, to call this woman, and by inference, her daughter and all Gentiles dogs, well, I'm not sure we can explain that one away. No, if you ask me, what we have here is a very tired and human Jesus, not on one of his better days. He was tired, he was frustrated, he was probably giving a response he had learned through the years, as his tra- in his training that, indeed, he was sent first to the Jews, not to the Gentiles, and especially not a Gentile woman from Syrophoenicia. But when he makes his retort to this woman about the dogs, she doesn't take it meatly, meekly and slink away. She talks back. She steps completely out of her place, and she argues with Jesus. Sir, she says, even the dogs under the table get to eat the children's crumbs. Ouch. To paraphrase her, Jesus, I've heard you're merciful. Can't you even allow a few crumbs for us Gentiles? A number of years ago, when I was on the faculty of Princeton Theological Seminary, Brian Blunt, a marvelous New Testament scholar who is now a seminary president and I, co-taught a course called Preaching the Gospel of Mark. We assigned different groups of students in the class to teach on a particular passage one week and then to preach on it the next week in class. The group that was assigned this text put up learning centers around the classroom. And at one of the centers on a table was a loaf of bread communion style sitting on a plate with big chunks of bread sitting around it. On the floor under the table were the crumbs. The instructions for this center told us get down on your hands and knees and eat the crumbs under the table. I have never forgotten how humiliating that was. What this woman was asking of Jesus was not some big thing. It was humiliating, but she had faith to believe that even his crumbs would be better than nothing. Today, I would like to propose to you that what this woman was that day was a gadfly of God. By reminding Jesus that his ultimate purpose was not only to seek and to save the Israelites, but to seek and to save the whole world God had made, Gentiles as well as Jews, she reminded Jesus of all God had called him to be. In short, she called him back to his larger vocation and God reminding him that she and her daughter were also need, deserving of his mercy and his grace. A gadfly of God. In preparation for this sermon, I did a little research on gadflies. I discovered that usually gadfly refers to one of two things. Either it refers to flies like those big old nasty horseflies that bite and annoy livestock, or else it refers to a person who, and I quote, stimulates or annoys other people, especially by persistent criticism. In short, gadflies are annoying and and their bite can sting. But historically, human gadflies do more than bite and sting. Back in the fourth century, Plato referred to Socrates as the gadfly of Athens because he was constantly questioning the Athenians about their morals, their ethics, their misconceptions and assumptions. In his apology, Plato describes Athens as a large and sluggish horse, and Socrates as the fly that bites it and rouses it to become a better version of itself. If truth be told, the Bible itself is full of stories about gadflies of gods whose words both bite and sting and yet who also call God's people back to becoming their better selves. The prophet Nathan's words to King David after he has an affair with Bathsheba and then arranges to have her husband killed in battle. You are the man, he says, after telling David a parable about a wealthy landover who had lots of flocks and went out and stole his neighbor's only lamb and ate it for dinner. Ouch. His words bite. They sting. But through those words, David spoke a word, Nathan spoke a word to David that he desperately needed to hear. He, God's beloved king, was also an adulterer and a murderer and needed to repent of his ways and return to God. Amos' words to the people of Judah, I hate, I despise your feast. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies, but let justice roll down like waters, righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Another gadfly moment of reckoning. Who wants to be told that God doesn't like our worship because our lives do not reflect God's justice? John the Baptist is a New Testament gadfly who confronts King Herod about his immorality and wickedness, and for so doing, ends up with his head on a silver platter. And of course, Jesus himself is a gadfly of God, turning over the tables of the money changers, speaking his sayings of woe to the religious leaders, calling all of us to repent and believe in the gospel. And in this text, I would propose to you that gadfly Jesus meets another gadfly of God in the form of this Syrophoenician woman who has the audacity to try to teach the teacher, to expand the horizon of the rabbi, and in so doing, to enlarge his vision of who he is called to be. Indeed, I think we see the results of this encounter in Jesus' life in the very two next episodes that happen in Mark's gospel. First, as we heard this morning, he's still in the region of Syrophoenicia, and he encounters this man who is deaf and dumb, and this time Jesus again heals him, but he touches him too he breaks through all those unclean codes and touches that man and heals him. And in the very next scene, what does Jesus do? He goes out on a hillside and throws a party for 4,000 Gentiles, in which he takes seven loaves of bread and breaks them in big chunks and delivers them to the crowd so that every single one of them eats their fill and there are seven baskets left over and nobody nobody has to eat crumbs. Have you ever encountered a gadfly of God who made a difference in your life, your walk of faith, perhaps by speaking words to you that initially stung but who ultimately made a difference in how you lived? When I finished college, now I'm embarrassed to say, 50 years ago, my first call was to be director of youth ministry at a large church in South Carolina. Three children from the same family were in the youth group at that church, the youngest being Tommy, who was a junior high. Tommy was one of those people whose love for Jesus was readily apparent and whose heart was always in the right place. I loved him dearly. I encouraged him to consider going into ministry one day. Some years later, after I had graduated from seminary and Tommy had graduated from college, I saw him again. Did you ever think of becoming a minister? I said to Tommy. Oh, yes, he said, there is frankly nothing I would rather have been. But you see, I am gay, and as you must be aware, the church in which you are now ordained does not allow people like me to go into ministry. So I pursued another vocation. I've also found another church. Ouch. Those were words that I, a newly minted Presbyterian minister back in the late 70s, did not want to hear. But to this day, I credit my own transformation regarding the place of LGBTQ people in God's scheme of things to beginning with Tommy's stinging yet truthful remark to me decades ago. He was, for me, a gadfly of God. In the early 1990s, one of my students in an intro preaching class at Princeton Seminary preached a sermon for the class in which he named for me for the first time the concept of racial profiling, a reality with which he as an African-American male in New Jersey was readily apparently associated. He told our class story after story that day of being pulled for something minor or for nothing at all and then being searched inhumanely and mistreated by officers of the law. I knew this man. I knew his heart. And I knew he was speaking that day a hard truth that all of us privileged white folk in that room needed to hear. He set me on a path to viewing this world differently, to recognize that no matter how I would like to see myself I will always be, being my own enculturation in this country, a recovering racist who who needs to be reminded time and time again that black lives matter, that we have a lot of repenting to do given our nation's racist history, and that perhaps critical race theory is something with which we all need to become acquainted, no matter how uncomfortable it may make us. In short, he was another gadfly of God for me. Indeed, someone recently asked me what I most missed about seminary teaching since my retirement three years ago, and I said it was the students who were frequently gadflies of God to me. They made me a better person, I said, because they were constantly challenging my narrowness and helping me see a bigger, larger world, a bigger, larger calling in Christ. Whether it was that student who preached in our little preaching section a sermon about the pain and the heartbreak she had been through with failed reproductive efforts and the church's insensitivity to her plight, especially on days like Christmas Eve and Mother's Day. Or whether it was the student who took me into the world of his own transgendered struggles. Whether it was the student who educated our entire Divinity School at Yale by getting all of us, faculty, students, staff, to read Michelle Alexander's book, The New Jim Crow, about black mass incarceration and discuss it together with Alexander present, or whether it was the many students who, like Greta Thunberg, warned us time and time and time again of the horrors that unchecked global warning bring to this earth, the very fires and floods and hurricanes and tornadoes that have broken our hearts this past week. These gadflies of God spoke truths I needed to hear, even though I may not have wanted to. They challenged me, like this woman challenged Jesus, to become my bigger, better, more welcoming self. I suspect that many of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus have encountered such gadflies in our life. People who remind us that God's vision for us and our world are much bigger than we initially imagined it to be, and we give thanks for them. But here's the thing Could it be that those of us who have been transformed by our encounters with such glad gadflies are now called ourselves to be gadflies for God? to speak the uncomfortable truth we know will offend before it will convert, to speak up when we prefer to be silent so that all God's people might have access not just to the crumb society affords, but to full loaves of the bread Jesus provides. In his letter from the Birmingham jail, Martin Luther King, Jr., one of the most persistent and effective gadflies this nation has ever seen, took on his more moderate white clergy critics to task for not understanding how important the gadfly role is in society. In response to their request that he cease with the sit-ins and the demonstrations and the boycotts and instead negotiate with his oppressors, King talked about the importance of tension in bringing recalcitrant people to the negotiating table and the importance of gadflies in creating that tension. King wrote, Just as Socrates felt it was necessary to create a tension in the mind so that individuals could rise from the bondage of myths and half-truths to the unfettered realm of creative analysis and objective appraisal, so we must see the need for nonviolent gadflies to create the kind of tension in society that will help people rise from the depths of prejudice and racism to the majestic heights of understanding and brotherhood. He continued, I have almost reached the re- regrettable conclusion that the Negro's great stumbling block in his stride toward freedom is not the white citizen's counselor or the Ku Klux Klanner, but the white moderate who is more devoted to to order than to justice, who prefers a negative peace, which is the absence of tension, to a positive peace, which is the presence of justice. Shallow understanding from people of goodwill is more frustrating than absolute misunderstanding from people of ill will. Ouch. Ouch. That Syrophoenician woman dared create tension in her encounter with Jesus himself. She said, no, we cannot wait for the healing of our children. We Gentiles cannot be second in line for the goodness and justice and wholeness you bring. Jesus, we need it now. Can't you at least spare us a few crumbs? And for speaking out so boldly, so bravely, so bitingly, Jesus not only praised her, he also healed her daughter. And buoyed by his encounter with that tension causing woman, Jesus went out in ministry to other Gentiles, offering to them the fullness of his healing, the fullness of his feeding, the fullness of his grace. Gadflies of God, I thank God for them and the difference they have made in my own life. May God multiply their number in our midst. And when we sense the spirit so moving within us, may God give us the strength, the courage, the feistiness to become God's gadflies too. For Jesus' sake. Amen.